What a great time of celebration and worship we've had so far this morning. Let's uh, pray together and then we'll open up the word again. Lord God, we praise and thank you for your rescue of us when we were helpless, Lord. Sinners caught in slavery to sin and you came along and you delivered us by your power set our feet on a solid place, Lord God. And now you walk with us by your Holy Spirit every second of every hour of every day, showing us the path of righteousness, counseling us, comforting us, convicting us. Lord God, you are so good to us as you seek and purpose to turn us increasingly into the image of your Son. We give you praise this morning now as we open your book again as people of the book, and Lord God, may your spirit come and powerfully wield your word in our hearts and minds. We pray in the mighty and powerful saving name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, as far as I know, there are no uh, 7-Eleven convenience stores here in Quebec. But if you travel west of here, into Ontario and then the Prairie Provinces in BC, 7-Elevens are everywhere. Say amen, somebody who's from west of here (laughs) in the US. As for me, when I was growing up, uh, going to the local 7-Eleven to get my Slurpee uh, was something that I did on, I would say, a far too regular basis. Now, when I was in grade four, so this is going back to about 1978, uh, there was a kid in my class named Tanya who owned a 7-Eleven toque. Now this was a unisex toque, it was good for guys or girls, and I thought that toque was pretty cool. I was jealous that Tanya had the toque and I didn't. It didn't look quite like the one on the screen, but I couldn't find the original. One day at recess, just as recess was ending, Tanya unknowingly left that toque on the ground as she went back into the school. And I saw it lying there. But instead of picking it up and giving it back to Tanya, I concealed it in my jacket pocket. Now this is Pastor Brent's moment of confession of his pre-salvation days. Now the problem for me in that moment, among others, was that another kid named Craig witnessed my sinister act, and he immediately came up to me and confronted me and told me to give it back to Tanya. But I remember mumbling something like, finders keepers, and then I (laughs) ran back into the school. Craig then went and told the school principal And the principal decided that he'd call my mom at home. (laughs) And at 4 p.m. that day after school, I found myself being marched by my mother over to Tanya's house, toque in hand, to give the toque back to Tanya and to issue her a sincere apology. Yes. (laughs) Yes. I never saw that toque again. That's just one small example, one small example from my own life where my selfish, 
jealousy over something started a domino effect of trouble. I wonder, has something similar ever happened to you because of your jealousy? Well, friends, in our next chapter of Daniel, we have what I would call Exhibit A of jealousy that cascades into a world of trouble. We're going to Daniel chapter 6 today, but just as a reminder here, in the late stages, I know it's been a couple weeks, in the late stages of Daniel chapter 5, we transitioned from Daniel working under Babylonian rule now to Persian rule, when Cyrus of Persia defeated Belshazzar of Babylon. And we suggested that the name that gets mentioned in chapter 5, verse 31, that name Darius the Mede, is either another name for Cyrus himself, or Darius Mede is one of Cyrus's top generals who ended up ruling as a sort of stand-in king in this location on behalf of Cyrus. And personally, I think it's the latter. Darius is one of Cyrus's trusted officials who is ruling on behalf of Cyrus, as often happened in the ancient Near East. He is a stand-in for Cyrus. Verses 1 and 2, it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps, that is 120 provincial officers, officials, to be throughout the whole kingdom. And over them, three high officials of whom Daniel, who was now well into his 80s, was one, to whom these satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. Now notice here that the 120 satraps are directly accountable to three higher officials, Daniel being one of the three. And notice also at the end of verse 2, notice that carefully, that we have a rather unflattering picture of the 120 satraps. They were required, notice, to give account to the higher three officials because maybe, just maybe, when the state lost revenue, these 120 guys might just have something to do with it. Daniel's job here is to ensure that no money mysteriously disappeared from state coffers. Daniel was to be a sort of whistleblower to hold people account to account when the books appeared to be cooked. And then in verse 3, we have just this gushing statement about Daniel's trustworthiness and his unmatched integrity. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps. Why? Because an excellent spirit was in him. An excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Now get this, friends. Daniel was a person who could be trusted. As Darius looked over at Daniel, Darius had nothing but confidence in Daniel. Darius saw in Daniel a man 
who would not take bribes and who would stay far away from any government corruption while he just put his nose down and did his work with integrity. Well, friends, you know, oftentimes it can be true of us that, listen, that when we see another person who's more solid, more reputable, more competent than we are, we can grow to dislike that person and be jealous of that person. As Chris Wright has put it, quote, it is very common in life that those who are good and competent arouse the dislike of those who are neither. It's just one of the many perversities of human nature, close quote. Well, friends, that's precisely what happens now in the story. Come with me to verse 4. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find what? A ground of complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because Daniel, he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. So get this, the higher officials and the satraps wanted to take down this man of godliness and integrity named Daniel. And we can imagine their private conversation. Oh, yeah, Darius, eh? he's always saying, Daniel this and Daniel that. Isn't Daniel wonderful? Isn't Daniel amazing? Friends, we must do something about our Daniel problem. Sure, our habit has to be, been to sort of skim a little from the coffers here and there. But how can we continue that if Daniel is breathing down our neck? He might end up blowing the whistle on us and we will surely lose our job. So let's dig for dirt on Daniel. Isn't this classic government stuff? <laughs> classic human nature stuff? Let's dig for dirt on Daniel. I'll check all his posts on ancient Near Eastern Instagram. You check his TikTok and his X accounts. And let's find something, anything, to incriminate him. They sought to find a ground of complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. All of their dirt digging and all of their searching proved to be fruitless because Daniel had been living a life that was simply above reproach. Can the same be said of you and I? Verse 5. Then these men said, now notice that, then these men said, so it's like they're speaking collectively here as a unity, 
uh, as a group, they say, we shall not find any ground of complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Yeah, guys, we, we've checked all of Daniel's social media stuff, and we've searched through all his emails, and quite simply, he comes out squeaky clean. The only thing we can do now is to look for some sort of clash between his religious convictions, his religious practices, and how we do things around here. In fact, I'm imagining the conversation they're having. In fact, what if we force such a clash? What if we engineer a scenario where Daniel could be found guilty of contravening Persian law due to his stubbornness in practicing his Judaism? Verse 6, the scene changes. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement. Notice, <laughs> they colluded together in their wicked plan. They came to the king and said to him, O oh, King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors, are agreed, there's that agreement again, are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever, listen, whoever makes petition to any god or man, it's pretty comprehensive, for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. So the basic thrust of their proposed bill is that all petitions, whether petitions to a god or otherwise, all petitions are required to come through King Darius and only through King Darius for the period of a whole month. And if anyone violates this ordinance, it's going to mean death. So what these guys are proposing here, we need to see is that Daniel, or sorry, that Darius is to be the sole appointed mediator between heaven and earth. All prayers throughout the land had to go through him without exception, Darius would be the only, listen, the only legitimate representative of God for an entire month. How flattering to Darius. Just think of it, king. Think of having semi-divine status over your whole kingdom for an entire month. No one will be able to pray to God and ask anything of God directly. It will all have to come through you, O king, since you are so great and you are so close to the gods. How flattering for Darius. Verse 8. These guys are a little anxious here. Now, O king, here's a pen. <laughs> 
here are the papers, establish the injunction, and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Yes, King Darius, with just a quick signature here on this dotted line, we can make this temporary alteration to the national constitution which will enhance your status as the sole mediator between heaven and earth. And of course, my friends, don't lose track here. Underneath all of this buttery, oily, flattering talk to their king lies their jealous, wicked intention to destroy Daniel. These guys know that when push comes to shove, Daniel will disobey this new governing ordinance in favor of obeying his God. Daniel will not come praying through Darius. Daniel will keep praying directly to his God, and then Daniel will be trapped in their wicked net and sent directly to the den of lions, and they will be rid of him. Well, what happens? Old Darius is duped. All this flattery proves to be just too much for him. He signed the thing without pausing very long for proper consideration. Verse 9, therefore King Darius took the pen, signed the document and injunction. And just like that, friends, the wicked wheels of jealous officials are put in motion. Now, back when I had a music career and was playing jazz, we used to say that a person who was particularly slick, particularly proficient on his or her instrument was really hip. Hey, have you checked out Elvin Jones on the drums? His playing is really hip. And of course, what we meant in, by saying that is that the playing was just really cool, right? Really bad in the sense of good. Well, Daniel in verse 10, friends, is just really hip. He's really cool. He's really courageous and immovable in God. Listen to this. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he did what? Did he panic? Did he immediately change his patterns to make sure he was compliant with this crazy government bill? No. Daniel was too hip for that. The text says that Daniel's course of action was to go to his house where he had his windows in the upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks. Gave thanks. Prayed and gave thanks. Not before Darius, the appointed human mediator, but before his God as he had done previously. Now, what's so cool 
about Daniel here, notice, is that he doesn't draw a crowd. He doesn't do any grandstanding. He doesn't make a big deal of it. He just quietly and confidently defies the government order and keeps praying as he always did directly to his God. It's like Daniel says, oh, well, I see now they've enacted this government order. Yawn. Lord, let's come together as we always do for prayerful communion. There's no inner turmoil that is recorded here for Daniel. Daniel simply doesn't flinch, friends. He's he's sort sort of like the ancient Near Eastern version of Clint Eastwood in the final gun battle of those old spaghetti westerns, right? Out on the street in the town, collected, confident. He persists in going directly to his God despite the threat of death. Because when push comes to shove, Daniel loves the Lord more than he loves his life. Daniel knew the secret that all of us must know. That there is a higher authority than any Caesar. And that's God. And God must be obeyed. God must be honored always as our first priority. Now notice, won't you, that the direction of Daniel's praying is toward Jerusalem. Notice this very carefully, friends. He may be living, he may be working so diligently as he is with all his integrity, working on foreign soil under the Medes and the Persians, but his heart is still oriented toward Jerusalem. Jerusalem where the temple had been. Jerusalem where God's special presence in that temple had been. Jerusalem where Daniel had learned about God as a child and had developed his godly character growing up. Now we live in Montreal, most of us. We live here. We work here, we play here, we go to school, we raise our kids here, but our hearts are our hearts, oriented always toward God, toward his presence, toward his will, toward his values, toward the new Jerusalem that we are waiting for. Even right now, as we seek the prosperity of our city of Montreal, are our hearts constantly and consistently directed toward the Lord? Well, friends, the wicked plan, it comes together for these buffoons. In verse 11. Then these men came, how? (laughs) By agreement. They're still in their evil unity, their evil agreement. And they found Daniel, guess what? Making petition and plea before his God, just as they had calculated would happen. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? I mean, king, our memory is a little fuzzy, but we 
we distinctly remember you signing some sort of paper on this. Didn't, didn't you do that? The king answered and said, the thing stands according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, here comes the name, Daniel, uh-oh, Daniel who is what? Daniel who is an appointed official with higher status than any of us who's worthy of our respect? No. Of course, that's what they should have probably said, but they didn't. Instead, they demeaned Daniel, just like Belshazzar had done in the last chapter. According to these guys, Daniel is nothing but another lowly exile from Judah. And like the tattletales they are, they say to the king, he pays no attention to you, O king, no attention whatsoever, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Daniel is defying you outright, O king. We caught him in the act. Verse 14. Then the king, when he heard these words, heard the word Daniel, heard these words, was much distressed. Now, the verb here in the original, that, that word distressed, is a word that literally means to stink. That's what it means in the original language. It's used in the book of Exodus to describe this, the, the putrid smell of rotting fish and rotting frogs. Something stinks for the king here. Something is repugnant to him and is making him feel a little nauseated. And we have to wonder if he has caught on here caught on that this whole thing has been a setup. That he had been duped into signing those irreversible documents, that these guys standing before him had concocted this whole ugly situation, that his royal signature had now put one of his star employees at risk of being mauled to death by lions. He was much distressed. The thing smelled pungent to him. And he set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored, he worked till the sun went down to rescue him. So the king, just picture him there, he's working the ancient Near Eastern phones. And he's rattling away on his ancient 1.0 keyboard. He's sending emails, he's sending texts, he's trying to find a way around this bill that he signed, trying to find some loophole, trying to find a way to save Daniel's life. But nothing materialized. And so we get verse 15. <laughs> then these men came, how? By agreement to the king, still in their wicked unity, and they said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Yeah, thanks, buffoons, for the reminder. Verse 16, then, I think with great reluctance, probably frustration, since his hands were tied, the king commanded and Daniel was brought 
and cast into the den of lions. So just picture it, friends. They lowered Daniel down into an underground cistern or pit that had a large stone cover. And there in that pit were a bunch of lions. And the king declared to Daniel, notice what he says, may your God whom you continually serve deliver you. Daniel, I haven't managed to deliver you from this situation, even with all this royal power at my disposal. May your God deliver you. Verse 17, and a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. So Daniel now is all sealed up inside that pit, surrounded by wild lions. Now, can you imagine... I think if it were me, my heart would probably be pounding out of my throat. And then we get verse 18. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. (laughs) No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Now, isn't this interesting? Daniel has just been thrown in with the lions. And of course, as readers of the story, we want to hear about his night. How did Daniel's night go in that very critical situation? But instead of that, what we get here in verse 18 is a report on King Darius's night in his cushy palace. So notice this. We're told here about Darius, how he fasted. He's probably still sick over the whole situation, unwilling to eat. I don't think this was much of a religious fast. And we're told here that Darius also said no to his usual diversions, his royal diversions, jesters, dancers, concubines, music, and the like. And we're also told here at the end of the verse that Despite taking his melatonin pills, wearing a sleep mask, Daniel couldn't sleep. His sleep fled from him. So again, the question, friends, why this detailed description of King Darius's night instead of Daniel's night? And I think the answer is that this verse is showing us, listen, how helpless and how paralyzed Darius was to help Daniel. The picture of this human ruler here in verse 18 is given to us to show that human kings must not be trusted for our help. Our help, Daniel's help, will come from elsewhere. It'll come from the true king, yes? From the Lord, from the Lord. But still, we wonder, how did Daniel's night go? Well, we get strong clues in verse 19 and following. Apparently, even as Darius fasted in his palace, he wasn't the only one fasting. It turns out that the lions fasted (laughs) also. Verse 19. Then at the break of day, notice the break of day, the king arose, got out of bed quickly, grabbed maybe some 
Cheerios on the way out, went in haste, in haste, to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, Oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? That's my tone of anguish. <laughs> now I want you to notice here, friends, a narrative clue to something really magnificent. Notice carefully that Darius's title for Daniel here is servant of the living God, yes? Now, as soon as we see those words, living God, in the text, we can anticipate that something truly great is about to happen. As Bible readers, we might recall that it was the living God who had spoken in a powerful supernatural manifestation out of the fire at Mount Sinai. Deuteronomy 5.26. And we might recall that it was the living God who so decisively drove out the enemies of Israel from the land of Canaan. Joshua 3.10. And we might also remember that just as the Spirit of God was enabling David to slay Goliath, David invoked those words, living God, twice. In 1 Samuel 17, 26, and again in verse 36. So the truth is, friends, that the living God, and I hope you know this in your own life, the living God does great things. The living God works divine wonders. And will it happen again here? Well, let's see. Probably we know the story. King Darius shouts his anguished question down toward that lion pit. He's holding his breath. He's hoping that a voice will answer back. It's quiet for a moment. Verse 20, 21. Then Daniel said <laughs> to the king, Daniel's alive. He's speaking. The lions fasted through the night, and Daniel is okay. Daniel says to Darius, O king, live forever. My God did what? Sent his angel and shot the lion's mouth. Yes! The living God has been on the scene, friends. And they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. So friends, it turns out that Daniel, we wanted to know how his night went. Well, he had a better night in that cold cistern with a bunch of lions circling around him than Darius did in his luxury palace with everything at his disposal. This is God's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. May God be praised. God has so easily here, notice in the story, he has so easily overruled that set of buffoons who concocted this whole scheme. So easily God has overruled them. Our God is so great, isn't he? Now listen, in, in Isaiah chapter 11, 
we have a description there of the shocking, and I, I would use that word, shocking renovation that will happen in the animal kingdom when the new creation arrives in all its fullness. So relationships between animals are going to look very, very different than they do now. For example, wolves and lambs will be hanging out in peace. Leopards are gonna be chilling with young goats. But in verse six of that chapter, we have a description of lions. Lions will coexist with bovine calves in total peace, where currently a calf is irresistible prey for a lion. And friends, I think what God did for Daniel in that lion's den, listen, is that he broke in momentarily with the new creation. God gave Daniel a very welcome in that moment, very welcome preview of what things are going to look like in the new age. We'll be able to hang out with lions right next to them and feel completely safe. Can you imagine? Well, at this point in the story, and it's winding down now, chapter 6, I can picture Darius collapsed in relief, just like on the floor outside that lion pit as he listens to Daniel give this testimony. Right? He's just like totally weak. Verse 23. Now, we've noticed in Daniel the, the roller coaster of emotions with these kings, right? Here's another one. So he, he couldn't sleep, sleep fled from And now, then the king was what? exceedingly glad, of course he was, and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him, not a scratch. Because why? <laughs> he had trusted in his God. Yes, friends, in God we trust. Even when lions, do you have lions who are rumbling and growling and circling around you in your life right now? May God increase our faith in every situation that we face. Notice what happens next in verse 24, and here listener discretion is advised. And the king commanded, and those buffoons who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and they were cast into the den of lions. They, their children, and their wives. Wow. And before they reached the bottom of the den, so imagine they're falling down. Before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions <sighs> reach up, overpowered them, and broke all their bones in pieces. And so, friends, some poetic justice are buffoons get exactly what they tried so hard to inflict on Daniel, death by lions. And not only them, their children and their wives are also thrown into the pit. Now apparently, at this juncture of history, the ancient Persians had a different system of justice than the Israelites did. In Israel, God had declared in Deuteronomy that where the death penalty was in play, only the perpetrator was to be put to death and not his family members. But apparently these ancient Medes and Persians 
they approach things differently. And as the chapter ends, we get then what was our call to worship this morning, the decree of Darius. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the what? Living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues, yes, he does. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. And then the final verse. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. And this final verse, I think, should really amaze us. Daniel has just been framed. Daniel has just been sent to his death by officials in his own government. And yet, according to verse 28, instead of quickly resigning in a fit of disgust, in a fit of rage after that incident, what did Daniel do? He continued working for the state. It's amazing. He continued to work for a government that had tried to liquidate him. Amazing. But the truth is that God had not given Daniel any green light to quit here after all of this. And so Daniel listened to his God. Well, friends, at the start this morning, I told you that story from my childhood of my jealousy uh, which ended up in my stealing that 7-Eleven toque. feels therapeutic just to talk about this. <laughs> but it ended well. It ended well as I returned the toque to its rightful owner and asked her forgiveness. And at the same time, I learned a, a very crucial life lesson. And then we journeyed through Daniel 6, where the jealousy of the buffoons... Uh, had resulted in a sad domino effect of trouble for Darius and for Daniel. But God ensured that it ended well. Yes? He overruled the buffoons. He freed Daniel unharmed from the pit. The buffoons were executed, and D Darius then issued that God-honoring decree. Well, as we wrap this up, when we read Daniel 6, we can't help but notice the obvious parallels with the story of our Lord Jesus Christ. It was jealousy and disgust that brought the chief priests and elders of the people to plot against and scheme against Jesus and arrest him and kill him, just as the buffoons had with Daniel. But just as Daniel 6, 4 told us that the buffoon group could find no ground for complaint against Daniel, so Mark 14, 55 tells us that the chief priests and council could find no testimony against Jesus. In Daniel's case, a wicked scheme was put in place so that Daniel would be found guilty of violating the, the law of the Medes and Persians. In Jesus' case, 
a wicked and a very hollow tribunal declared him guilty of transgressing the law of the Jews. Daniel was caught in the buffoon's net as he was praying in his house. Jesus was arrested in the context of praying also in Gethsemane. Daniel 6.14 told us that King Darius labored until sundown to free Daniel. In Matthew 27, we have the story of Pilate attempting briefly and unsuccessfully to free Jesus. Daniel was sent to be executed in the lion's den, but trusted in his God, 623. Jesus was sent to the cross, but according to 1 Peter 2.23, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. But now, friends, the differences between Daniel and Jesus are great. Daniel emerged from the lion's den without a scratch. Yes? Daniel was delivered from death. In the case of Jesus Christ, of course, he died on the cross. But what happened? Well, there had been a stone laid over Daniel's lion pit with the king's seal on it. And according to Daniel 6.19, the king went at what time of day? In the morning to that place where Daniel had been shut in, and the king found Daniel still alive. When Jesus died and was buried, a great stone was rolled over the entrance of his tomb, and Matthew 27:66 tells us that it too was sealed. And the two Marys came to the tomb in the morning, and they found Jesus risen from the dead. Daniel, you see, had been delivered from death. Jesus was delivered through death. And God vindicated him, friends, and highly exalted him, yes, and gave him the name above every name, and all authority in heaven and on earth is his. I hope you know that this week. The King of kings and Lord of lords, God in the flesh, come to redeem us, our Savior, our Lord, the first fruits of a wider resurrection to life that will happen to us if we know him. God is to be praised for taking the sour scheming of the buffoons and turning it into a mighty deliverance of Daniel that brought God great glory. God is to be praised. And God is to be praised for taking the sour and the wicked scheming of the chief priests and elders and turning it into the great prophesied rescue of sinners worldwide by the crucifixion and resurrection of dear Jesus. And so may we all go into our situations this week with God's praise on our hearts and on our lips, trusting him, trusting him for our rescue.
Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we praise you. We thank you. We thank you for the evidence that you showed us today in Ed's baptism of a sinner rescued, saved by your grace. We thank you, Lord, that you are so powerful that you overpower and overrule human plans and schemes. Lord, you are guiding your history of your world to the conclusion that you have purposed. May we remember that this week and may we take rest in that and have peace. Walk with us, Lord God, this week. Keep us from the evil one. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.